Welcome back to another episode of the Spartan Hoops Podcast. It's been quite a while since we've gotten together. I was mostly a guest uh, during the course of the season just because it's a little bit of work to put this out. But the offseason has arrived. We need to wrap up the 2021-22 season. There's a lot to talk about early on in this offseason. And to do so, I brought in the two best guests that I possibly could. Uh, my good friends of Sleepers Media, Carter Elliott and Greg Waddell. Um, also the field of 68 unscripted podcast. If you have not subscribed, we're hoping for a season two, uh, from the boys there. So, uh, looking forward to that fingers crossed for sure. Uh, I'm going to just dive right in because there's so much to talk about tonight. And I just kind of want to get maybe both of your thoughts on the way that the season finished. I, I think maybe from the perspective of was the season a success? I think we would all probably say no. Uh, we had so many conversations coming into the season. I think that we discussed that Michigan State should probably finish in the top four to five in the conference. They should make a Sweet 16. I think both, you know, all three of us really had a feeling that maybe that was kind of the ceiling of what this team could be. But we want to see some strides in the right direction after kind of a down season. We didn't get that. I would argue in a lot of regards, we ran into a situation where we've now had back-to-back seasons. It's really been struggled uncharacteristic to kind of put together two seasons in a row like that. And so maybe we'll start with Carter first, then we'll go to Greg, but what's just your overall thought of kind of the way that this season went and maybe give me kind of your overall takeaway from how you're feeling leaving this season. Um, I, So I try to compare it to how I felt at the end of last year. And um, I thought it would be different. Um, I would say that last year I felt worse, but this year was not far off to me. Um, just because maybe during the season, I my expectations that I started with coming into the year started to right started to raise a little bit, and I maybe bought into some things that you know maybe I shouldn't have bought into. But I saw a promise, and I saw some things that this team. I didn't think it was necessarily an issue of like you know we had guys like Foster Lawyer, Thomas Kithier playing like we did last year. Like I thought we had some guys. I thought that we had a chance to, you know, kind of after seeing how we played during the year, I thought that us being a second weekend team, like making that second weekend was feasible. And I thought that that would, that's what I told myself would make me happy. Now, contrary to belief, I'm not always just a negative Nancy. Like I usually am on these podcasts, but I just want to say that that last game against Duke, I was actually extremely proud of how Michigan State played in that game. And I thought they played extremely well. And unfortunately, down the stretch, you know, NBA players are going to NBA. And our non-NBA players didn't NBA. Like that's it, At the end of the day, you know, Paolo Bancaro is going to probably be a guy like Joey Hauser or anybody on Michigan State's team 10 times out of 10. That's why he's going to be a top three pick. Uh, so they had their guys that are pros make plays. So credit to them for playing a good game. I thought that, you know, like Greg likes to take my lingo, we gave Duke our best punch and <laughs> it just didn't work out. You know, that's the game of basketball. But as a whole, I, I found myself, I would say, disappointed uh, with the season as a whole. Because like you said, DK, this is two straight years that, you know, some behavior we're not used to. Yeah, underachieved, I think is yeah. a good word for it. Greg was kind of, you know, rolling his eyes a little bit when he said that the Duke game went well. He texted the group. You're not part of this group chat. He texted the group. That was a program statement. That was 
a moment in time was. where it was 100. percent So what are you rolling your eyes about? Let's hear. I'm rolling talk. my eyes because Carter Elliott has changed his stance on that game so much since three weeks ago. <laughs> was he was he pretty that's, miserable wait, about it? Really? That's no. That, I'm rolling my eyes that you are like now putting the cap on of like we should be proud of that. Like in the, I was with you at that Applebee's, that very sad Applebee's. I, I mean, I was I was sick. Okay, I don't hang moral victory banners. Of course, I was sick to my stomach. We should have won the game. But are you hanging a moral victory banner now? Is the question. No, but That's no, but like at the same time, somebody wins, somebody loses in basketball. Like if we would have lost, we would have got blown out disgustingly and played bad, then it would have sucked. But like at the end of the day, like I said, like they had guys that made plays in the last three minutes and we didn't. That's that's hoop sometimes. It's ass, but it's something that like I get mad about in the moment, but it hasn't bothered me since. Like it hasn't ate me up inside since then. I haven't really thought about it. That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah, I, time. There's a moment of reflection. So go ahead, Greg, please. No, I, I, so I, I'll say this. I think, uh, I feel like looking back on the season as a story now, like I almost feel like what you guys are now saying or what you've come to terms with are, are things that I felt maybe in the moment where like, it, it feels like people are catching up to the way I sort of viewed the season, like preseason DK, I was with you. This should be a top five team in the big 10. Through the non-conference, we all felt that way. We saw what they did in Atlantis, and there was not a lot of reason to not believe this team was a Big Ten contender. We also knew they had a really, really easy early start to the Big Ten schedule as well. and They had to take care of business, and for the most part, other than that one really bad loss, they did. But like, I think you have to reset expectations because I think at the time that we said this Michigan State team should be a top four or five team in the conference – we didn't know that Iowa was going to be as good as they were with Keegan Murray, who's a top five pick in the NBA draft. We didn't know that Rutgers was going to be a legitimate NCAA tournament team with Ron Harper and Geo Baker and Mulcahy leading the conference in assists. We didn't like the teams. Wisconsin. We, we had Wisconsin yeah. somewhere. Yeah. We didn't know Wisconsin would have Johnny Davis, who's a top five. Pick. Like the, the whole of the Big Ten contenders this year were a lot better than we gave them credit for. And then when you now evaluate, even mid-season, when you evaluated where did Michigan State fit into that mix, like, to me, it was like, they don't have an all-conference player. They don't have a pro. Like, it's, it is a testament to what Tom Izzo has built that this team still gave the team that made the Final Four with six pros on their roster their best punch. And Gabe Brown was hitting shots. But, like, looking back on it now, for Michigan State to have finished, what, seventh in the conference? They were fifth in win percentage overall on the season. Like, to me, that's a success for how talented that team was compared to the rest of this conference. But you need to separate that from, like, this season. Was it a success with where's the trajectory of the program, which is what we're going to get into. But last year and this year, like, if we're saying fifth or seventh in the Big Ten is an objective success based on the talent level, and we don't really see that changing – that's where we have to have some conversation. Yeah, I, I think that that's problematic, and we're going to get into that in a moment, but let's let's just kind of put a bow on it. I think Carter kind of said it perfectly. I had just a really bad taste in my mouth the way that the season ended. You you end the season three and seven down the last ten games. You can't really feel good. You know, you felt good for a moment that Purdue win. You're like, oh, maybe they turned a corner. and It kind of felt that way in multiple parts of the season where it's like, okay, that was the game. They turned the corner. They're going to start playing good basketball fall on your face the next game for two, three games and come back. I, I think that they, they struggled to eat, like string two games together during the last like 15 or something like that. I have to go back and look, but 
it, it was just a terrible stretch of basketball for Michigan State to finish the season. I did have a little bit of a different feel after the Big Ten tournament and the the NCAA because I thought that after not being able to maximize the roster for long stretches in January and February, I thought in the Big Ten tournament and in the NCAA tournament, every last drop of talent that was on the roster to me was squeezed out of it. He got the last little bit of the catch. That Duke game, I, I think Carter put it perfectly. You're up five. You got like four and a half to go. I never felt comfortable that entire game, whether we were up or down. I never felt comfortable any part of it. I thought, you know, Gabe Brown stepping up and taking shots. You see Marcus Bingham finally get 26 minutes. He puts up like 16, 10, two steals, three blocks. Like uh, the seniors that you wanted to see play that way throughout the entire season and did not like showed up in the biggest game. And I think that that is a, a testament to what he's built as a program. I, I think that the struggle that he had is the lack of leadership and the lack of consistency, both maybe from the staff's rotations as well as the players, because I think it, it goes hand in hand when there's so many rotations, you're having so many issues. Part of that is because the players aren't playing consistently. And part of that is maybe you're grasping at something and not doing it. So I thought the combination of all that led to kind of what we saw, you know, if, if they win that Duke game and they get, you know, smashed by Texas Tech the next game, I think we all would have said, okay, the season was a relative success. You ended Coach K's career, obviously. You beat Duke again. And I think we would have been feeling a little bit better, and I generally did. But now we've hit the offseason. I would argue maybe the most pivotal offseason uh, in terms of the direction of the program and really the, the end of Izzo's legacy after having these two seasons. And I would have to say that I'm at about a 6 out of 10 to close to 7 out of 10 in the panic level. I think it's a clear yellow trending towards orange right now at this point. Because you look at what's happening – um, we obviously have to, we have to talk about the Max Christie thing off the cuff. Um, I, I have some long-term thoughts on this, but I've been talking for a minute. So I'm, I'll pass it to you first, Greg. Obviously you've heard the rumors, um, some, some malcontent among the family or his camp. I, I have no fucking clue what for, let me just put that out there for starters. Um, but for my understanding and everything, in the situation, and I've tried to sniff around everywhere that I can. I believe that if he's guaranteed kind of in that top 40, that he's going to stick in the NBA draft. That is the game plan. It sounds like dad is very insistent that this is a situation where he thinks he's a pro. He needs to go pro. They didn't like what happened this season. And he, you know, I think at the direction or request of kind of his family and his camp is going to further explore that. What he hears back from the NBA will be interesting to me, I think, as well as you guys. But um, where do you see this kind of, uh, I guess, what's your thoughts on him making this decision and sticking in just right off the gut for you? Yeah. So I'll give my thoughts. And then I do want to give a, a little personal story at the end before I pass to Carter here. But, uh, I, I think it's ridiculous. I think, uh, you know, I've joked with Carter on our show all season long that, uh, Max Christie has been coddled and he plays like a kid who has been coddled. Like I've, I've joked that he's a private school, Brandon Kearney. I've joked that he sleeps in a bunk bed and he cuts the, or his mother cuts the crusts off his peanut butter jelly sandwiches. But like I, those were jokes, but I think there's a little bit of truth there. Like Carter's been saying the biggest thing for Max is just keep him on campus, get him in the weight room and let him go out to bars at night. And like, I, it kind of feels like his family is delusional here and just telling him like, yeah, you're not you're not going back, dude. You're going to the league and you're making us money or like this school didn't help your draft stock. But it's not the school. 
It's not the coach. It's not the system that hurt Max Christie's draft stock this year. It's Max. He played horribly. He had every opportunity. He led this team in minutes. He led this team in shot attempts, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and, like, it, he had the ball in his hands constantly. And he didn't deserve that. He feasted on, you know, low-level Division One opponents. And we identified that very quickly into the season. Like, oh, what's wrong with him in Big Ten play? Oh, he's not playing guys that are way smaller and less athletic than him anymore. Got it. Like, he never found a counter for that. He looks the part. Like, you can watch him in warm-ups, and he has a pretty stroke. He looks like he has a little bit of off-the-dribble game, but he couldn't get to the rim and finish. And he missed a lot of open shots. And to me, look, he might get drafted off the promise, but – there's a lot of delusion from his camp if they think he should be some lottery pick after this one season. And if they think the staff did anything to hurt him, that's just crazy to me because I, we know, DK, I've been critical of how Izzo has handled freshmen in the past. He gave Max Christie every opportunity in the world, arguably too many opportunities. So that's crazy. And then quickly, my, my douchebag name drop personal story here. So I was at the Big Ten Tournament. I was honored and lucky enough to sit courtside for a couple of the games in Jeff Goodman's seat. And one of the games, I was sitting next to Mike Schmitz, who is ESPN's lead draft guy. And uh, somebody introduced me to him. I was kind of starstruck about it. And it happened to be the Michigan State game. So we're watching them go through warmups. I think it was Michigan State, Maryland. And Schmitz looks at me and he's like, oh, you like, I told him I did the MSU podcast. And he's like, oh, so like, what am I supposed to make of Max Christie? And I'm like, you might be asking the wrong guy because this was the point when I was already pretty critical of the kid. And he's like, I mean, I just I've seen him enough times now. I feel like he really doesn't love the game like that. Like he hasn't improved at all from the kid I saw in high school. And I'm like, yeah, like I, I haven't seen growth over the course of the season. He's like, is the system a weird fit? Like, what is it? I'm like, no, it's it's nothing. He's just not as good as he was built to be. So, like, if ESPN's lead guy is observing that and saying, like, is this a love for the game issue? Is this a skill set issue? Like, there's clear issues here. I'm not very confident he's going to get a ton of positive feedback. I don't know if that means, like, he gets a mid-second round grade and he takes the risk. I don't know if that leads him to a transfer. But I'll be shocked at this point if any NBA organization gives him a promise because he hasn't earned that. Cart, you go first, and then I'll I'll follow up. All right. Well, first things first. Before we talk, Cormac, uh, I wasn't planning on cracking a brew, but uh, this brings my stress levels extremely high. So, oh, you're a good company. Everyone's got one. So. Okay. Well, cheers, boys. Okay. First things first. Uh, outside of basketball, I after this Max Christie season, I made a promise to myself: if I do have a son, or I'm blessed enough to have a son or a daughter that plays a game of basketball. I'm going to develop our relationships where it gets to the point that if they stink, I can tell them they stink and they'll be okay with it. And that will make me a successful father because I don't know why you'd want to lie to your own son. Just be honest with yourself. Like I feel like one of the, one of the best qualities or one of the best attributes that a basketball player can have is having some sort of self-awareness on what your weaknesses and what your strengths are. Like, why not just go into whatever this exit interview is? Maybe, maybe listen, maybe think that maybe you did stink this year, Max. That's fine. Okay. Like you can stink and you can still do something. You can still come back. You can still have a better sophomore year. 
any any GM that promises him a top 40 pick should be immediately drug tested. There's no there is absolutely nothing. There's not one single moment this year that I can hang my hat on and I can be like, oh, yeah, Max Christie, he's that guy. We need him on our team. Like there's no shot. And I just don't understand what 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 the I really don't understand what the, what the issue is, to be honest with you all like. Max, like you weren't good this year. That's that's it. That is what it is. It's not an arguable point. You were not good this year. Like, and you should know that. And you should know that you can come back. You can work on your game. But the fact of the matter is that somebody tells you about your game and you get upset with it after you were given every opportunity to be great and you were put in the position to be great. Like Greg said. I've also been critical about sometimes the handling of freshmen or handling of players in general and players not getting opportunities or players not having, you know, the quote unquote, what we call it, you know, the is long leash, short leash thing. Max had one of the longest leashes on the team. He could do whatever he could do no wrong. He was playing extremely bad throughout the whole season. And every single night he was getting run out there for 30 minutes a game. So, you know, at the end of the day, you get put in the position to do something and to be a be a good basketball player. And you just didn't come to those expectations this year. And that sucks. But also, it's not the end of the world. Like, you don't have to just dart for the draft or get pissed or leave Michigan State because somebody told you you stink. Like, and also, where are you going to go? Like, I, let's be honest here. You're not getting drafted top 40. I'll I'll make a bet right now. I will eat a shoe boiled if he goes top 40 in this nba draft and then what what, what school are you gonna you go to illinois like where are you gonna go i'm confused like I, I would have to even go back and look and see who was in cormac's like final four or something i don't know maybe he goes to northwestern and plays where his mom played but i i just don't i don't know i don't really see the path here and i didn't expect this at all like i i was i that's the thing that really uh killed me about the situation and i'll, I'll stop after this point was that coming into this offseason like you said dk it was a huge offseason and i have like a list of like things that i want to happen and things that i want to see this summer and uh you know things that i would like the program to take steps in a positive direction and probably the last thing on that list was max christie leaving and below that was max christie not only leaving but just transferring not coming back to michigan state so i'm in shock about the whole situation it doesn't make sense to me i think it's uh, I think it's odd in terms of the way that he came in and the interviews that he gave. Like, this is a process. I'm not looking to, you know, make a quick decision on any of this. Um, everything that he's done in terms of the interviews he's given and everything, mature beyond his years. But it, it feels like this is a situation where it's like mom and dad are kind of making a decision that's probably not in the best interest. If he does enter the draft, to me, I think that there's a potential of him washing out, which uh, one more year in college, and I can guarantee that that won't happen. Basically, I, I don't know how else to say it. Like, you, you want to know? You want to know? You want to know? You want to know the craziest part, DK? If he washes out, it's fine. We'll just head back home. I man, his, I mean, his, it's fine, right? Is it, his his bed's gonna be made no matter what. He'll just go home. LSB, we, we have a classic Eddie's million dollar cook off scenario happening here. Max Christie just wants to go do theater or or get a chef's book out. Like he has other hobbies. He is more interested in and he is forced against his will to suit up for Tom Izzo in a state over kitty corner from the one he grew up in. That's not his safe space. 
and play 32 minutes a game and shoot 12 shots a game in the grinding Big Ten. He never asked for this. Max never asked for this. He has other interests, gentlemen, and I think we should all support that. Let's all let right. We're getting too far off the scales here. I, for everything I've heard, he's a gym rat. He's he's you know addicted to the game in some parts, maybe to the point of obsession for some of it. So I, I don't think that that's is the that issue. for real though. Where like who's saying that? Because the ESPN draft guy doesn't think that. Like he's not going out though. Like what do you think he's doing? Like what, I'm getting in bed by bedtime. Like, <laughs> Listen, I, I think that this is a situation where physically he came in not capable of weathering a 30-game schedule. And I think that that's maybe the most glaring point to me. If, if you're talking about his decision to go to the NBA and, and you're trying to give him the best advice that he can, he couldn't play in the Big Ten for the 20-game slate. Like, he hit a wall basically midway through the season, and he never got over it really in that hump. Um, I pulled some stats from him in the article I wrote in Spartan Hoops. So uh, against top 50 Ken Palm teams, which are you like against the tier A opponents, there's a total of 18 games. He shot 33 from 90 uh, from inside the arcs. That's 36.7% and 15 for 61 from deep. That's 24.6%. Um, total of three games where he both scored in double digits and shot 50% or above from the floor. Like he had a bad season objective. There's no way to kind of get around that. And this is a situation where, to me, he adds 10 or 15 pounds on his frame. I think the largest issue that he had was the ability to get all the way downhill and score at the rim. He was having to settle for mid-range jumpers because he couldn't get through the contact to score at the rim consistently. And when you were, are relying on jump shooting, you're going to run into streaks where you just don't shoot well, A. And B, the scouting report came out on him and it says, crowd his space. Make sure that every jumper he takes is contested because he's not going to beat you off the dribble all the way downhill. So he became a very scoutable guy. Again, the, the opportunity from the staff was given. The most minutes played, he took the, the most shots in conference play, second most on the team behind Gabe Brown. He had the worst offensive rating of anyone on the team outside of Pierre Brooks who didn't play enough minutes to qualify. So there, there should be zero qualms about the way he was used. He asked to be on the ball more in the middle of the season. The staff did that. I didn't think he excelled at it. So if there's any flack to be taken for this decision, to me, it's it's clearly on the parents in the camp. If he goes, yeah, I'm going to personally wish him well. I hope he makes it in the NBA and he figures it out. But he's going to spend some time in the G League against guys who are 26 and 27 years old who are trying to put food on the table for their families. Like, that, that's a hard way to cut yourself and figure it out in the NBA. If he lands in the wrong organization, he can be washed out in a couple of years. I think it really, really matters about fit. It's almost a Jordan Poole situation where at least Jordan played two years and he gave you like a, a quality enough sophomore season. People thought maybe he left a year too early. It took him a couple of years to get where he is now, you know, potentially poised as a most improved player type this season. But that's a process that took a little bit of time. And the Warriors were the perfect organization to wait for him to mature into that. There's so many teams out there in the league that are not well organized, not well run, and don't have the patience for somebody that they're going to pay millions of dollars for. And if he lands at the wrong spot, it, it, it could jeopardize his entire career. And to me, it's just not a risk that you would take. I, I just don't understand it. So yeah, that's my last spiel kind of on that. I don't know if you have any final thoughts. Go God, ahead. God forbid he gets drafted early second round by Sacramento. Like, that man's flipping burgers in three. Right, like Stauskas, right? Yeah. Stauskas, Stauskas landed the wrong spot at the wrong time. If he would have been in a different spot, 
maybe he's still in the league. Like where you go is is as important as maybe the position that you are in the draft. I think I, I I don't even think Max could stick in any G League team right now. To be honest with y'all, like what what about what about his game is going to make him? Stick? Can we? Can I? I want to do one spin zone final thought with Max, but like. I've been doing this myself with Caleb Houston because it sounds more and more likely that he's going to leave. And that's what that's what I've heard, which to me is yeah. like the equal decision. At least his body is physically ready to play in the NBA. Well, and, and was, like Houston came in with a little bit higher pedigree, like he was a projected lottery pick in a lot of spots, which made his season even more underwhelming. But Houston also like has some positive numbers you can point to that I think are more impressive than Max's on the year. We can debate those all day, but like. Houston made 63s this year, led Michigan in minutes, led Michigan in threes made. Like, he did some positive things, even though he was a shell anytime he wasn't in an arbor. But the point is, like, I've been convincing myself that the only reason Caleb Houston would leave right now is because people in his camp aren't convinced that he actually is the player he was billed to be. Because if there's a belief that you can actually get back to those lottery projections – you come back, you hit the weight room, and you do that. And you just play better, and then all of a sudden you're getting way more money 12 months from now. So, like, I, and it feels harsh to say, but, like, if maybe there's some conversations internally of, like, oh, shit, if we have a chance to just get drafted anywhere right now, we might as well take it because maybe this is the player you are, and maybe it's not going to improve. And as much as we talk about coddling, I don't know that that would ever happen. I'm sure Max – Max's family is very confident in him. I'm sure Max is very confident in himself. But, like, to your point, Cart, he wouldn't stick in the G League right now. He was a horrible college player this season. Like, I joked about it, but, like, he legitimately was identical statistically to Chase Audige, who was, like, the worst efficient player who played 30 minutes in the Big Ten. And Max Christie's right there with him. He just looks the part of a five-star recruit. So we all kind of accepted that. And I'm I'm confused at this point because I think he'd be better next year, but like if he's running out the door to leave, maybe he wouldn't. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a run out the door because I can't get better situation. I just think he's getting bad advice right now. That's that's kind of where I'm feeling, and I'm very very curious to see what happens in this. Uh, I believe that they have till May first to enter the transfer portal and get the you know the the single time immediate eligibility to transfer. So we have a couple weeks, and I guess we'll know one way or the other before that NBA decision whether he actually is going to enter the transfer portal. If he doesn't, he goes through the, the NBA process, and they tell him, like, yeah, maybe you'd get drafted, maybe you won't, maybe we take a flyer on you in the mid-40s or 50s. Like, at that time, it's a business decision, and I, I still think that there's a version of it where maybe they just need a little reality check, and he still could come back. So I'm not completely drowning that out because he hasn't gone through the process and he hasn't been evaluated. And when you get evaluated by somebody that's outside your coach or outside your circle, and this guy's like, yeah, you're not going to cut it. You're not going to cut it this year. You know, you, you probably should go back. And he hears it from other people that are going to be in a position to potentially draft him or pay him. I think that changes maybe the equation and maybe that needs to be happening. So I'm not going to give out 100% hope for it. I still think that there's a version of him that could be very good next year. I hope that it's at Michigan State, but it's sounding more and more like it's not. And I guess that takes us to kind of the next time. What does this roster construction look like when he's off? Um, we've now seen Brown and Bingham depart. I don't think there's any mystery there for either one of us. Um, I, I think that probably was what was going to happen. It sounds to me from what Izzo is saying that Hauser is very likely to return. 
I have mm-hmm. told you, Greg, that I have some mixed feelings on that, and it's more the way the staff has handled the situation. I think with his return, they're a little bit more apt to kind of just maybe like hold tight on some of the roster, whereas if he went, it would have forced them to go out and get somebody. Um, obviously, he shot extremely well. He shot 46% from deep in conference play this season. We saw him basically carry Michigan State to a win against Davidson. And then we saw him turn around against Duke. He had five points. He went one from five of the field. In a crucial moment, up one late, he decides to single-handedly isolate Bancaro and score over him in the post. Like, not a great decision. I think that was kind of the two sides of Joey. Um, you know, he's he's skim milk Brady Manic. Can you get, like, a version of him that's maybe a little bit better and can carry you a couple games? Yeah, we saw it. But I, I, I think that ultimately – Maybe when Hall was playing his best, the four spot was better in his hands. Now we're hearing some chatter. Maybe Hall is going to potentially slide up to the wing. My guess, again, that's some veiled uh, kind of point out that maybe Christie's not going to be on the roster, so we're going to try to get them both on the floor at the same time. I think that that's a little terrifying. Um, I mean, I guess let's just kind of let's kind of look at it. For me, the guard play, I like. I do. I, I personally do. I think Hogard and Aikens both took pretty big steps towards uh, the end of the season. I should say Hogard and Walker. I'm sorry. We'll get to Aikens in a minute. But Hogard and Walker, I think both took some pretty big steps. I have some stats just from Walker's last little stretch. Give me one moment here. Um, so Walker's last 10 games of the season. I removed the Purdue game because he got injured like the first three minutes. So you take that one out. The last 10 games he actually played more than you know the three minutes he did in that Purdue game. 11.3 points per game, 4.7 assists per game to one turnover, so almost a 5-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. He shot 40.6% from deep and 84.6% uh, from the free throw line. I think that the one-two punch between him and Hogard kind of paid off dividends. I think some of the buckets that A.J. Hogard got against the NBA guys that were on Duke's roster, some of the, the, the way that he willed himself, the, the Purdue game where he had 17 uh, points and 10 assists to zero turnovers – complete control of the game for the most part. Uh, I think that there's a lot to like between the combination, kind of two different styles where Hogarth's going to bully you, get to the rim a little bit more. Walker shown some ability, that Illinois game down the stretch where he just went berserk, that he's capable of putting together some scoring performances. I, I like the two combinations. I like Trey Holloman coming in to either back up the one or the two spot. I think that he is going to get some run. And so I, I think if you're looking at that guard play and then you look at maybe the jump that Jaden Aikens can make this year, I really like the one-two position and kind of where it's set up. I think where it starts getting scary is when we look to the wing, we talk about maybe what the power forward position looks like if Hauser's going to play 30 minutes per game, and then the center spot is a potential disaster. So maybe I'll flip it first to Carter. Um, where do you currently stand in the roster? And I guess in, in your terms, what's the largest concern that you have just as we're kind of you know, month out now from when Michigan State season's ended, and we're entering a territory where I don't know how much movement's going to be on the roster, and I think that that should be terrifying to everybody. Yeah, I, I tried to come into the summer with a very positive mindset that we would uh, attack the transfer portal with uh, energy unknown to any man, and I do not think that we have done that up until this point. Um, as far as uh, the depth of this team. I also want to make it known that I don't want Cormac back. Like I don't, if, oh. even if he wants to come back, I do not want him back. Well, how can you say that when it's just been rumors and whispers? We have I no don't care. idea. I don't, want, I don't, I don't want him back. <laughs> I don't want, I don't, I don't want that on my team. 
I don't know if we can say that because it's hard to know what is coming from his parents and what's actually coming from him. So I he is his parents. There's no difference. There's no difference. Listen, I think that Michigan State definitely needs to be a little tougher. I think that this team has been soft outside of a a handful of players the last two seasons. And I understand some of the feel regarding that, but I think objectively Michigan State would be a better team with a sophomore version of Max Christie. So I can't agree with you there. But go on, please. Anyways, Spartan, Pop, Spartan Pups with Max Christie. You'd have to retire the dog mantra. Yeah, we, we'd be we be team pup and suds. Shout out Brink. But uh, I, I I feel the same way about the guard position as UDK. The only issue for the only issue for me is I don't want. I don't want Jaden Aiken's development to be hurt by any of the guards that we currently have on this team. I think Jaden Aikens is that guy. He is Hemothy. He is the future of Michigan State basketball. I don't care if Cormac is happy. I'm moved on. I'm, 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 my, all my eggs are in the Jaden Aikens basket. And what he showed me last year and what I've seen from him, even in his high school days. I mean, DK, you've seen him play a couple times. He's from a, He was a Farmington kid before he went to Sunrise. Uh, granted, the OAA is not the best competition in the state, but we saw a guy who has the ability to play with the ball in his hands, get buckets, has some wiggle to his game, and also on top of that, he's an explosive athlete, and I think that he can get even more explosive as he gets better. But the thing is, these this year, this summer, is very critical to me, I think, in one aspect of keeping Jade Aikens happy with, you know, how people transfer very quickly. I want to make sure that he's happy with his role. And in what I want from the staff is any way to get him more minutes, I think needs to be done, whether that is playing small ball and even playing him on the wing for a little bit, or just inserting him at the two. And he's our starting two and you start him with Hogard. And then you bring a guy like Tyson Walker off the bench, who I think would be a great bench, like a great bench piece. And that's not even a slight, to Tyson Walker. I just think that AJ Hogarth's development is also going to take a step. Uh, as we saw in this past year, he got way more comfortable this year and he was able to show some things. I think that development, tr- that trajectory he's on continues in the next year. And he's like the point guard of the future. So I just kind of envision a Hogarth Aikens, like kind of being our backcourt of the future moving okay, forward. Let's stop right there. Cause I think that that's perfect to me. Aikens has to start at the two next year. Mm-hmm. I-, I think that Tyson's probably here one more year. He could technically stay another, I think. I I would be surprised if he was to do that. You spend four years in college, most of those guys are ready to be done. And I think that, honestly, Tyson, when it's all said and done, is going to end up having uh, more of a season towards what we thought was going to be last year this next season. I I think he's a guy that can come off the bench and be a bit of a microwave scorer for you. We saw it in spurts this season. He's a guy that can score off the dribble from three. I actually like him coming off the bench. I thought he looked more comfortable for it. Uh, so we're we're all in agreement here, but why why is he coming off the bench? He didn't come off the bench at all this season. Yeah, why is he, he actually coming off the bench next year? He he did he did come off the bench. He was, just, yeah. he was a starter also. Yeah, at the end of the year, Hogard was was because starting. He got hurt. He got hurt. Like yeah, but then he was coming off the bench for a strike. I mean, I have to go back and look yeah, at all he, that. But he, he came off the bench for two tires in five minutes in the Big Ten tournament. And at that point, Hogar was playing well. But like that to me was never like, oh, AJ Hogar took the reins or Jaden Akins. It's his time. Like we can yeah. say that as much as we want. I'm in total agreement. A- Akins is that dude. He's gonna be an all-conference player. I hope it's sooner rather than later. I love AJ Hogard. He's a big game player. He's a killer. He's that dog that y'all talk about. Tyson Walker is an obstacle to both of those two becoming what we want them to be. 
And I think we all need to admit that because I don't think the staff is going to bring him off the bench. He was the starting point guard. He led this backcourt in minutes this season, even though he didn't. You, do you don't think you don't think Tom Izzo has any any problem bringing a player off the bench? <laughs> no, I, I do, but like you think, uh, what is is he a fifth year or is he just a fourth year senior next year? He'll be his fourth year. Fourth, it'll oh, be his fourth yeah. year. Next year. He's he's gonna start at the two day one. If AJ's starting at the one, Tyson's starting at the two. It's not Jay Nakins. I I don't know about that. I'll be honest with you because I think that he'll like to have the flexibility to be able to bring Tyson in for either the one or the two off the bench. And I think that that would be a nice commodity to have, right? If Hogarth starts out a little slow, he's not looking right, boom, you bring him You bring him off the bench, he's somewhere at the one. You don't like what Akins is doing, he takes a couple bad shots, boom, you bring him off the bench. So I I, I see what you're saying, like he's older, but he's going to be in the same in the program the same number of years to me as Akins. So to me, it's, it's longer in the program. I thought A.J. Hogard did enough, in my opinion, to take the reins. I think down the stretch, he proved that he is the guy. He's the guy that's going to form the leadership of where this is going, the way that he can lock in and just, I think, the way that he plays with a mental edge. And, and we didn't always see We saw that in spots from Tyson. But to me, I, I think that this is A.J. Hogard's team. So I would be pretty surprised if he didn't start next season. Um I don't know what to say. I, I'm not 100% sure how it, how it's going to end up working out. I'm looking at the just the game log here. It looks like five, six, seven. I also yeah, think so he, he didn't start eight games out of the 36 that he played. And he didn't start uh, the game against Davidson, and he didn't start the game against Duke. So he actually was brought off the bench to end the last two games of the season in the postseason. I know maybe some of that was the ankle. But I think the other part of that was after Hogarth's performance in that Purdue game, I just think that Izzo was like, I'm going to have a hard time not inserting him. So I, I think that there is some hope that that goes. How does the two-guard spot – I think that Akins is going to compete for it. If you're looking at who the better defender is, I think it's Akins. If you look at who the better athlete is, it's Akins. He, he's not going to score. I mean, no, he's not. Let, let's be honest. He didn't score anywhere near as good as Tyson Walker. He didn't shoot the ball as well. He didn't score as well at the rim. Um, yeah. What are, you, what are you looking at before? Look at the numbers. I, just, I, I, mean, the numbers like, I, I feel like I watched a totally different Tyson Walker than the majority of Michigan State fans. And I've gotten – I've taken my my lashings for that, and I'm willing to continue taking them. But, like, I, look, even if he doesn't start, you can't convince me that he's not subbing in at that 17-minute mark a la Julius Marble and getting in the way of Jaden Akins and A.J. Hogard being who they can be. Like – uh, we're going to do that song and dance for one more full season for a guy who averaged, what, six a game and was literally unwilling to shoot the ball when open? Like, that's – if you're giving report cards for the year, right, the the top mark on Tyson Walker's sheet that he hands back to his parents is, hey, shoot the ball more. Like right. – He did what, average what, three threes a game down the what, stretch. But this, this is the yeah, thing. I, I and think he got better during yeah. the course. His confidence was an issue for parts of the season, but I thought he got much better down and, there. And I don't think it was just a confidence thing as well. I think towards the end of the year, you saw that it was kind of a role definition. Like, I feel like one of the main issues for me with Tyson during the whole season was just every time he's out there, it looked like he was overthinking everything. Like, every open shot, he was thinking twice about every pick and roll, just thinking twice. I feel like towards the end of the year, there was a little more role definition. And I think that could be even more fine-tuned going into next season. If you just tell Tyson, like, look, you're going to get, you're going to get your minutes. Like I'm, I'm not saying what it's going to be, but I literally want you to come off the bench and we need you to get buckets. He can do it. He showed he can do it. 
But if he if he knows that's his role and he knows he doesn't have to be, you know, the quote unquote, I know we crowned him as like, I mean, I I'm I'm this part of the issue is me doing this myself. I kind of crowned Tyson Walker as like this point guard is gonna do it all for us. Maybe he can just be a point guard that comes off the bench and gets buckets. Like I he has the ability to do that. So maybe some role definition can help as well with that. I thought playing him beside a point guard made a ton of sense too. And I know what Greg is saying that, yes, you're cutting in a little bit to Aiken's minutes, but I look at it. If you could play Hogard like 25, some nights he's going to play 28. You maybe throw Holloman like five backup point guard minutes. Cause I think he is going to play because of his length defensively. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to make an impact immediately. So he's going to be a guy that they're going to find some minutes for this season. And then you throw, you know, Walker, maybe 10 minutes, eight minutes at the point guard spot. And then he plays, you know, tw- you know, 15 to 20 and the backup and Aikens can still play close to 25, especially if you slide him over, maybe you play him five minutes at the wing. So I think that there's enough for Aikens to play 25 minutes per game next year. He played just under 15 this year. I think you can give him another 10 and then you still keep together. Maybe the Hogard Walker tandem for some spots and allow them to do, I, I don't necessarily see as a problem having three good guards for two spots, I guess. And I do think that they can develop into like, look at the guard play in the big 10 this year. Like who had the best backcourt, like maybe Michigan. It was Eli Brooks and Devonte Jones. Hi, Illinois, Illinois, Frazier Plummer. Yeah. Except Plummer. they fucking fell on their face down the stretch of the season. They looked like dog shit. And Kerbella well, came back and maybe yep. threw some in the mix that to bring this full circle. The reason they fell on their face was because a third guard got in their way in Andre Kerbella. If we're being real, when, when Kerbella didn't play, that backcourt was unbelievable. When they tried to force Curbelo into the rotation, it visibly affected those guys. Yeah, but what did Curbelo give you? I think that there's a there's a clear role for all three guys to me. I think Walker and Aikens are those guys that you want to give buckets, and Hogarth's the guy getting downhill and making and the stir the drinks that's the straw that's stirring the whole drink. I can't even say uh, that. You're you're right, and I just I just want to frame it as this, like. First of all, I need to apologize to Tyson Walker. I said he averaged six a game. He did not. He averaged eight a game. He shot 47% from three. Like, he contributed yeah. in many positive Four or five threes a game yeah. if you shoot that. Keep he's shooting good. until the percentage gets to the high 30s or low 40s. Like, he's take as many threes as you want. He's a good player. But so much of the way we have to analyze Michigan State's roster comes back to the way this coaching staff runs their rotations. And I know you know that better than anybody, DK. But, like – if this was just a normal team and we were saying, oh, A.J. Hogarth could be an all-conference player this year, I truly believe he could. Give A.J. Hogarth 30 minutes, see what happens. We want to say, like, Walker and Aikens can score? Hogarth can score 12-13 a game just by getting to the rim and being an animal. Like, if you gave Jaden Aikens 30 minutes this season, I think he could be an all-conference player. But the likelihood that we're ever going to see anyone get 30 minutes a game when there's a guy like Tyson Walker also on this roster is not realistic because he does minute splits that affect everybody negatively, in my opinion. So like if you could guarantee me Hogard gets 30, Aikens gets 20 at the two and 10 at the three, and then Tyson gets 20 off the bench and Holloman gets sprinkled in here a little bit. I love that. I think that's a phenomenal, it's probably the best backcourt rotation in the conference. But if we're in for a timeshare, how has that worked out at every other position we've had a timeshare in the last two seasons? Not super well. I think if they all play 25 and up, I'm okay with it. I think you can make it work. I think all three guys can play 25 and up, and you can figure out a way. Well, Cart, what are your thoughts on that? I, I know we all kind of are 
I've been disgruntled over the years, you know, especially the last couple about the rotation, some of the minutes. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I'm more so on your side with like the 25 minutes a game and up. I'll be happy with. I just I don't think the whole them getting 30 minutes is realistic. Um, also, don't know if like them getting 30 minutes is necessarily going to equate to, you know, them being all conference players. I think it could. But I don't think that's just automatically like the way it goes. Like I last year, I felt that if Marcus Bingham played over 20 minutes, like we were going to get stats. And in every game that he played over that, you know, we got stats. So, um, yeah, well, I'm going to wait till Jay Nakins is a junior to even like see what he's going to look like. In a that's what that, that's what scares me. Like we waited basically till senior year to see what Gabe could do. Did we not? Is it was is Gabe not doing that if he has the same amount of minutes a junior year? 100%. That was the Josh Langford thing, though. That that was the conundrum. That's, of that's, well, yeah, you have Being another case of a player hindering our other yeah. players. Oh, my God, it's happening. We're screwed. We're screwed. We're screwed. That's the way it's been for, for years and years and but that's, years. That's why I want to call it out. Like, just because it's the way it's been doesn't mean – that's a, that's a seniority thing, right? That's like he's been in the program. He gave his body to the program, and Izzo couldn't say no. Like, I, I understand exactly. what you guys are saying. I'm not agreeing with that take. But it's no, a little different when he has a transfer come in. It's Tyson Walker, and he spent as much time in the program as Aikens. I think he logs it not in terms of how old you are, it's how many years you put into the program. And to me, he's talked nothing but glowing about Aikens the whole season. He's talked about him in the offseason. He said it again today that he, he's excited to see the jump he can make. I think he needs to add about 10 pounds to his body. He needs to get to the rim a little bit more than what he did last season. I mean, we'll say what it is. He had like a, a decent season. He shot below 40% from the floor. He needs he needs to be put in positions where he has better shot selection because a lot of times he got left with like last second shots. How many times do we see like the clock winding down? Oh shit, Akins has the ball he can create. They need to they need to put him in positions where there's 15 or 20 seconds left. He can pull it out, he can create a mismatch and then get to the like he's the best isolation scorer on the roster. And if you're looking at one bright side of Christie being gone, some of what they were trying to do on the ball, some of the shots that they're trying to give to Christie are going to be given to Aikens. There's no other way to do it. You have to give him those shots. Like Brown is out now, right? So you're, you're two guys who led the team 9.3 field goal attempts. And then if Christie was to leave 8.4, so the top two guys on the team that are playing on the wing, the same position, those shots are going to come. So I think, you know, we, we talked about it briefly and just texting stuff, but if you had just changed out, and I think the thing that makes me the most sad if Max doesn't come back, it's that the time investment in him is impossible to get back. And if you would have traded out his minutes and his the amount of shots and just given them to Akins, where would he already be coming into sophomore year? We would have seen a version where, A, I think his production would have been better. Michigan State probably would have been a better team because I think he plays better defense, and I think that just what he does – is intangibly he gives you more energy he, he never stops playing hard I think that if he would have gotten those minutes he would already be ready to blossom into it and so maybe it's a bit of a, a learning curve this year because he didn't get the opportunity but I just think that there's no other way but to give him shots and they, they got to put the ball in his hands more and now if Christie does leave that the chance of that happening goes exponentially up and so at least if there's one silver lining in all of it I, I think that there, that is something to be excited about I guess um, let's move to the wing though. Uh, I mean, I think that the scary thing of the transfer portal is who's the one there? person we've targeted. Is <laughs> who's there? Bridges, okay, please, okay, who's there? It's exciting. He's the one player we've targeted is Jalen Bridges. At least they've targeted one person. It's better than none, I suppose. 
The problem is he's got, you know, he's cut his top four down. It's Bama, Baylor, OSU, MSU. Not exactly like just a clear cut MSU is the best offer in this situation at all. I think he's going to visit. It was nice that Izzo went all in. He went down, saw the girlfriend, saw the family. It was almost immediate. Um, you know, a lot of eggs in that basket because if Max Christie does leave, which seems maybe that's inevitable, I think you gotta you gotta replace probably one of the wings. You just got it. You can't have Hall playing 25 minutes at the wing. We still don't know what Pierre Brooks is going to be. If they decide to just enter the season and not get a wing, if their feeling is that Max Christie isn't coming back, uh, that that's I don't know. That's malpractice. That's coaching malpractice. You can't you can't do that. So. Thoughts on what the wing situation would look if Christie is gone. Greg, go ahead. First of all, uh, if if Jalen Bridges' girlfriend liked Tom Izzo at the in-home visit, don't let her meet Nate Oates. I'm just gonna say that right now. Okay. <laughs> like let's let's just keep her far away from him. Uh no, I all you know this last offseason, like the very first show we ever did, all I did was come on and bitch about the fact that we had two wings on this roster. And those two wings were Max Christie and Gabe Brown. And there were two scholarships open. And all I did was complain that, God forbid, if someone gets hurt or someone's just bad, there's going to be zero options. And you essentially saw that play out. Like, Gabe Brown, God bless him, he turned it around late. But he had a really rough stretch in the season, and he had to just play through it. Max Christie was horrible for two and a half months, and he had to just play through it. Like, And what are we going to do next year, for real? If they don't get Jalen Bridges and those two guys are not on the roster, what the hell is the plan? Yeah. There's no one. Like, okay, Pierre Brooks, go play 35 minutes. Okay, Malik Hall, you play a new position now. And we better be thankful Joey Hauser came back, a guy that half the fan base didn't want back. Like, what is the plan? There's going to be three scholarships open. Are we going to fill them? Are we even trying to fill them? And why haven't we recruited a more balanced roster in the first place over the last two and a half seasons? Like. There's about to be zero true wings on this roster. And they're going to have to play three or four guards at a time or three or four power forwards at a time just to make it work. It makes no sense to me. Uh, I think the only fix at this point is to aggressively hit the portal. And as far as I know, and you know more than I do, I'm sure, but they're not doing that. And I can't for the life of me understand why. So I'll complain about it as loudly as I can until it changes. But it doesn't seem like it's going to change. Cart. That's the thing for me. It's 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 aggressively like there's so many there's so many players in the transfer portal. Like you got to have a backup plan. Like I even point to, I mean, obviously we don't recruit from the transfer portal like some other big schools like Arkansas or something like that. But Arkansas needed a big this year, and they literally went out and got five of them just 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 like. Because they know they're going to need one. If they don't, you know, if something happens and one doesn't want to come to school, they literally just like, we'll get five of them and then we'll figure it out from there and figure out the rotation. But the fact of the matter is, just like Greg said, we don't, if we don't get Jalen Bridges, then, then what are we going to do? We're going to look at each other and be sad that we lost Jalen Bridges. No, we got to figure some shit out. Like we cannot count on, like you said, Pierre Brooks playing 25 plus minutes on the wing or Malik Hall making a shift to the wing like that's that's that that's not the all the that's not where I want to put my hopes and dreams into why Michigan State Spartans next year so the way I see it is though we're panicking like you said DK like it's like a yellow right now there's still players that are entering the portal like that's still happening you know so 
we got to find a wing in the portal. Like, and, and if it ends up being an okay wing, that's, I mean, that's fine. We need something. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know why we're not all in on guys like Terrence Shannon. I don't know why. I mean, there's other wings out there that we can be in on. And you can call me negative if you want to. But if I'm Jalen Bridges, why am I not going to Baylor when they're just churning out draft pick wings year after year? Like they got they get guys like Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan who come into this year with probably no first round grades. Maybe Kendall Brown had a first round grade and they thought he was going to develop into that kind of player. But Jalen Bridges is a guy who has NBA talent. I think I think he has NBA measurables. I think he's a guy whose whispers have been heard that he could be an NBA player at some time. And he looks at a Baylor team where wings are going to the NBA. So that's going to be tough. I know we've been all in on him and I'm really hoping we get him because obviously he's our prize possession right now that we want in the transfer portal, but we got to have a a, a plan B and C and D like we got to get a wing at, at some point. Yeah, I think the thing that's scariest the most is just the lack of urgency for that. You that's just said two of your worst seasons in back-to-back years, disappointing finishes. Your legacy and the way that you're leaving the program, however you do it, with its you know a couple of years, whether it's five years, that's that's it's a little bit on the line. It, I, it, I, I don't. And I'll, and I'll let you go, DK. But it, it feels like complacency. Like where's like the where's the this two years were ass. Like I'm gonna have the best summer of my life. And that's for players on the team. That's coaching staff. Like, we're going to turn this shit around. I don't really see a, you know, collective. And obviously, I'm not, I don't know what's all going on behind the scene. But from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like there's a a fire lit under this program that we just had two ass years. And we're in a point in the transfer portal where it is go get, like, it's, it's, it's open, it's open hunting season. You can go get who you want if you want them. So go make it happen. Like but let's he, let's he also openly hates the portal though. Like I think that's a misnomer. I, I think that he he doesn't like the way that college basketball is headed to it, but I, he's used the portal two times the last three years. So you can't say that he hates it per se. He doesn't like the decision making by some of these kids and, and some of what's happening in college basketball because of it. I don't necessarily think that he hates the portal. I know he speaks out on it, but he gets asked about it because he's been vocal about it. And so but, it so keeps op- optics matter itself. though, right? Like optics matter. I, you're right. Saying he hates the portal is not the correct way to term this because again, look at the six, like Bryn Forbes portal, Aaron Harris portal. Tom Izzo has benefited directly from guys that have transferred to Michigan state that have led to very successful seasons for him, which is why it makes no sense to me why he has not embraced this more. Like, I get he's old school. I get he's old-fashioned. But the game will leave you behind. And, look, we're one season removed from him leaving two scholarships open. So whether you want to say it's he hates the portal or not, my interpretation from the outside of that would be Tom Izzo's not willing to recruit as hard as other coaches are to fill all scholarships via the portal, he would rather leave them empty and give Davis Smith a scholarship. And I think, I think that there's a balance to be struck between keeping guys on the roster happy and filling some of that in. And you need to have a balance between that because you're seeing some exoduses in places where guys are leaving that you think could be program guys, but they're not willing to wait in and hang anymore. And that's just, that's the reality that we're facing. 
So, but isn't that that happened with Christie, and that was the supposed reason we didn't get another wing last year because we had to cater to Max Christie's needs, and now he wants to leave one season in. Like, I get what you're saying. I 100% get what you're saying. I like, I, I don't necessarily agree that he shouldn't have had at least a backup. Like, Daryl Morsell would have looked really nice in spots last season, 100%. Um, but I think that there's you know, the, the days of filling 13 scholarships anymore, I, I think it's, for the most part, I think it's dead. I'll be honest with you. At I Michigan think, State it is, but I guess, yeah. like, my, my flip to this too, DK, is, like, you're at Michigan State. Like, let's not deflect from the fact that Michigan State is a national brand. Michigan State should be able to go in to almost any recruitment in the portal that there is and assert themselves. And Tom Izzo's one of the only legacy coaches left in this game. Like, like it or not, if you're a Michigan State fan, if you're not, Tom Izzo's name holds weight in this game. As guys like Coach K leave the game, there are not many dudes that have won a national championship that have been to even multiple Final Fours at all, let alone how many Tom Izzo has. Like, if he wanted to embrace this and throw around the Michigan State brand, he could pull in dudes that would significantly help this roster. And when we look at, again, Cart did this earlier in the episode, but the trajectory of the program the last two seasons, like it's just a major missed opportunity. And like you said, DK, it's his own legacy that is at stake here. If this continues to unfold the way it is, like he's just yeah. in his own grave. And that's I mean, from an outside perspective, what can you say, but it's frustrating. And we haven't even gotten to the center spot, which to me is maybe the most important position. I'll be honest with you. If, if they didn't add a wing, but they added like a legit center that was like a defensive glass cleaning monster. I could live – you could just spit and put whatever you can at the wing spot if they just got a center for me. I, I think that that's, that's seriously the, the spot that I'm at because you're you're watching probably, I would say, somewhere between four to five guys to me that have been viable center options that you could reach out to. Johnny Broom just put out like a top eight. You know, some of them, there's no way that they actually offered him. He just he threw them in for some cloud or whatever. Uh, like there was Duke on there and some other teams that clearly have like a starting center. There's no way he's going there. But uh, this is a situation where there's multiple guys in the portal that could make an immediate impact at the center spot. I tweeted out uh, the defensive rebounding. I, I think the two field goal defense is maybe the, the most like shocking number. And I want to just read it to you because the way that it's gone recently is directly, in my opinion, impacted by the way that the center spot has. Um, so our two field goal defense, um, since 2014 to 15, so 15, 36, 16, six, 17, 18, 18, first, 19, second, 20, 10th, 21st, 108th. It dropped almost a hundred spots in a single season. And 22 last season was 128th. That's a direct impact. If you don't have a rim protector, if you don't have a defender of a post player in the Big Ten Conference, you're fucking smoked meat. It doesn't matter as much when you get outside the tournament play, but you can't be ever seated properly in the Big Ten if you don't have a center that can defend and score. And they haven't had one in two seasons. Bingham was the closest thing they have. He's off the roster. The decision to potentially roll with Marble and Sissoko my head will explode if he doesn't get a center. I, I've said it from the beginning of the offseason. It was the clear prioritization of this team. If he doesn't get one, I will be so vocal about what malpractice this is. 
I don't know how many times I can say it. Like Sissoko played less minutes as a sophomore than he did as a freshman. There, I love him. I hope that maybe in like year four or five, he can be a contributing member. There's no way you can trust the center spot for 20 minutes a night to him. Julius Marble can't defend a fucking post, okay? I thought he had a pretty good offensive season. I thought he had some spurts where he really helped the team. He, he was a better rebounder. He was at least a little more physical around the rim. He can't defend the pick and roll. He gets destroyed in it. And when Joey Brunk and fucking Hunter Dickinson are just destroying us in the paint, like I just can't take it. I, I, I wrote down the last games that had a true post, what they scored against Michigan State, and it's so depressing. Mark Williams, 15 and 8. Luka Brajevic, or however you say his name, 18 points, 8 for 10 from the field. Hey, he's a that, killer, though. Zach Eady and Trevion Williams, 11 and 10, 15 and 7. Yeah. Joey Brunk, 18 and 6, and Hunter Dickinson, 33 and 9. If you look at your center position and you come into the season and go, I'm going to lose the only rim protector that I had that I was a little bit, you know, cautious to play. We'll just leave, you know, sleeping dogs lie on that one. And then just roll the dice and think that it's going to go any better for you. I I will I will lose I'll lose my hair. I'm going to turn gray. Like I, you can't do that. You just can't enter this season with the same center rotation minus Bingham and expect a different result. To me, it would be it'd be the sign of the end of times. I think at this point for me, I, I, I and then now all the eggs are in the basket of the Xavier Booker, and now you're getting Duke and Kentucky and Gonzaga sniffing around. They don't have a backup for 2023. Go get a fucking center in the portal. I don't know how many times I got to say it. If you don't get a center in the portal, they can maybe even play two years. How about Manny Bates from NC State? I know he's had the shoulder injuries. Like physical, led led the fucking ACC in blocks two seasons ago. Like just bring him in. And you can even say like, we can't give you, can't guarantee you minutes. We got to make sure your shoulder's okay. He's got two years of eligibility left. That kind of guy can change the entire season and trajectory for Michigan State. And if there's no urgency to go out and find a center, we might as well just stick a fucking needle in the season before it even begins. Because I think it would be absolutely catastrophic, and I can't understate that enough. So that's where I'm at with it. How about you, Cart? How are you doing over there? I mean, I feel the same exact way. Not only are we going to be basically, for back of letter terms, fucked, every other team in the Big Ten who's recruiting post players is going to be like, you should come here because we get to play Michigan State two times a year, and you get to face a six-six center on a nightly basis who can't guard a fucking parked car. Like it, and I'm just—I literally was DK while you were going on that rant right there. I was both listening and scrolling the portal. It can be done. You can do it. I've been looking at the portal myself this whole damn episode. I was—I mean, you go—I would settle for a Ryan Young from Northwestern. That's how down bad I am. He's a body. He's big. He bust. He busted our ass. He busted our ass this year. All I'm saying is, you gotta have somebody like there's yeah. people out there. Manny so Bates. And he's 250 pounds at the very least. He can provide some resistance in the post. That's what I'm saying. Like shit, take the Matt Painter method. Just go find a seven foot foreign dude and throw him out there. Like we, there is somebody. I I hate acting like we're a poverty program. Like we just have those claw and scrap to get players like get like come on get a fucking clue or michigan state like say what you want to say greg make any face you want to make but like 
We no. hold. I'm <laughs> saying. Oh, sorry, I'm la I'm lashing out. This is not me yelling at you. This is me yelling at the situation and what I'm going through. We should be able to get a center, man. It's not that damn hard. Like, like there's somebody portal. Just make. You only have three of them in the NBA. Not a good example or anything. Like, what the fuck? How many centers in the Big Ten the last few years are in the NBA? Luca Garza barely counts. Like Michigan State has three centers. I know it's you know JJ was going to be there, or whatever. He's a power forward, whatever you want to say. Big man. They got three big men in the NBA right now, and Draymond Green is going to be a Hall of Famer before it's all said and done. When we can't get a fucking big man in this school, it's blowing my mind. It's blowing my mind. I think they're feeling the effects of the Enoch Wache thing right now. Like he would have been the guy, right? And then I mean they've had a ample. It worked time. out for him so well at Arizona State. I'm happy to see for him. Right. Well, like well, it, well, well, the check, the checks cashed. <laughs> yeah. But no, I look. I again, I feel as strongly as I do about the wing spot. Like your Michigan State and your Tom Izzo, throw your name around in the portal and just go solve all of these problems. It should not be hard. You guys are absolutely correct in feeling as passionate as you do about it. I will say a little bit of devil's advocate here. I am less concerned about the five spot than I am the wing because You're I, not. I, You're I. But I, I can squint and at least say, okay, there's two bodies there and maybe Mati Sissoko becomes a dude. Maybe. I don't the know. The guy that didn't play a single minute in the tournament is going to turn into a dude. Oh, I'm, I'm not confident in that at all, but I'm more confident in that being a possibility than Malik Hall needing to play 35 minutes at the three. Because yeah, no. you have anybody else. Like I'd rather just play three guards at that point. Give me – Give me Hogard, Akins, and Walker together. Then just play. I mean, we're we're this close to major Keon Coleman minutes at the wing. DK, like I swear to God, there are no bodies there. Legitimately yeah. none. Like it's nuts to me. I, I don't disagree with you, but I think that if you're looking at what this conference is, you can probably get by with just patching together that. You can't get by with patching together the center spot. We just tried to do it two seasons in a row. We've had four centers and three centers. And all of them have stunk. I, I'm so over the center position right now for it. I, I can't believe they're not considering going out and doing it. And maybe maybe we just need to hold our breath. Maybe some of it has to do with the assistant. And we're already over an hour, so let's we'll keep moving this along. I think that we're all in the same position that they probably need to add a wing and they need to add a center. And both of us, all of us would feel probably much better about the whole thing. At, last thing on center quickly. Could they not go full-time Hauser Hall front court small ball and just embrace it? Because that they played that and it kind of worked at times this year. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, I think that Jackson Kohler is actually a nice piece to do it. If you're just going to say, fuck it, we're not going to be able to rebound and we're not going to play any defense, but we're going to have a pretty good offensive tandem and we're have the capability of stretching you out. I would highly enjoy that, but you know Marvel's going to play 20, 25 minutes in this situation. Yeah, so I, that's, that's the thing. I'd rather do that because basically that's you adjusting. That's you, you know, laying in the bed. That's you laying in the bed that you made. Basketball in the conference that, that doesn't see it a ton, right? You, you almost play the Iowa style when they went to the two Murrays at the four and the five, and you say, yeah, maybe we're going to give up some points in the paint, but then you got to guard our guys that can score and put the ball in the deck in X, Y, and Z. So, for me, I, I would be 100% down for that because Kohler's a pick-and-pop guy. He's a guy that can play on the block a little bit. He can stretch out a defense and make it a five-out type of offense. So, yes, Greg, in a pipe dream world, I would be I think we might see that, though. Like, I, And it might be because his hand is totally forced with his inability to get guys from the portal, which is nuts. But, like, if this is the roster with no additions, or even if they add Jalen Bridges, 
but no center. Like, you're going to see small ball. And I honestly do think it could work for them because I trust Hall and Hauser. And I honestly think Kohler can be a year one guy on the offensive end. Imagine if we enter the season, Malik Hall's at the three, Hauser's at the four, and Marble's at the five. That's our defensive front court slash wing. It's likely going to happen. Bad. The only thing that you're going to say is that the Big Ten is going to be Cheeks next year, and maybe that helps them in some regard. Because I think Big it's going to be, be Cheeks, but Kofi Coburn's going to be back. Hunter Dickinson's going to be back. Zach Eady's going to be back. Yeah, I mean, that's – yeah, yeah. I think Purdue has some trouble themselves with what they're going to have in the backcourt. I think the backcourt's going to be – They're going to get Nigel uh, Pack, though. Yeah, maybe. That's what – if that happens, maybe then that – Hey, 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 Trace Jackson Davis, if, you, if this somehow comes on your on your feed – just, I hope you're having a good day, man. Slip into the portal. We'll come, we'll come take care I, of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even saying that. I just hope everything's going well, the draft process, and, uh, you know, hope everything goes well moving forward. But, um, you know, if, if there is a next move, just want to throw our name out there. But just hope everything's going well for you. I don't know when this will be dropping, so maybe, like, late week. Hope you have a good weekend. Um, and, you know, I just want to get that out there just in case this comes across him. All right, perfect. All right, so we'll move on. Uh, Dwayne Stevens. Longest tenured associate head coach for Izzo leaves. He's now lost his two longest tenured in the last two years. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about this one. I think in the short term, this came maybe a little bit as a surprise. There's always been chatter that, you know, he had the opportunity to take that and now have a little money in Kalamazoo to kind of back some of what he's going to be doing. You hope that he can be successful, really difficult program that they used to have some times back in the day where they were pretty good, but they have been a bottom of the barrel place for a long time. And so, Resurrecting that, I think, is going to be difficult. I think if you're looking at kind of just the here and now affecting of it, Stevens' day-to-day was very heavily involved in the recruiting. The one glimmer of hope that I have that maybe they haven't been as active as they would like in the portal as as a result of needing to fill that position and having somebody, you know, kind of take control of that. You'd think that there'd be some, you know, plan in place and you'd like it to go a little bit more seamless, but the fact that maybe there was some surprise from this, they've just been a little slower to adapt. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that maybe once that assistant coach is hired, we see some activity ramp up, like really in the next week or two would be really nice. Um, What are your thoughts, I guess, in terms of, we thought that maybe there was a clear cut successor to Izzo and we thought it was Stevens. Uh, At least I'll speak for myself on this where I was not exactly comfortable with that. I wanted to see him at least maybe have a head coaching position elsewhere if he's going to be a candidate for the job. I think the Michigan State, could have been in a position where they hired somebody internally and the program slipped kind of to the middle of the Big Ten and sat there for a while. I think that's a high possibility because they've slid there the last two years. So it's not out of the realm of possibility whatsoever. And this at least gives them an opportunity when the search does come to make it a national search to have some scrutiny. And I think it it puts a little bit more power in Alan Haller, the AD's hands when that decision does come to be able to make it. So I think in the short term, why it's going to hurt the program a little bit and just some of the stability, I think it's an opportunity to potentially hire somebody a little younger, somebody that absolutely needs to recruit better and expand the recruiting base. And I think that it's an opportunity, um, again, for maybe just a little change to be inserted in long term. I think it's probably good for the, the health of the program, not just to hand it to Stevens because he was the next in line to make him earn that or to find somebody else who's capable of keeping the standard that we've seen at Michigan State for the last 20, 25 years. What are your thoughts? Uh, go to Greg first on this one. Yeah, I, I don't think much is going to be felt uh, in the short term or in a day-to-day. My general take is that like uh, assistant coaches as a whole 
are not nearly as impactful as you think they are other than on the recruiting trail. And I don't think losing Dane Fife and or Dwayne Stevens is going to turn negative for Michigan State on the recruiting trail, especially if they replace him, like you said, with someone a little younger who's, I mean, Izzo said this, someone who can navigate NIL in the portal. So if that actually plays out, it should be a benefit, if anything, to Michigan State, even though you lose some stability. What scares me is I think this is almost going to turn into a spot where if Stevens succeeds at Western and success is very relative at Western because they won what six games the last two seasons. I mean, that, that program cannot go down. It, it honestly probably can't even stay where it's at. Like whatever he does, it's going to look like an improvement. If he does well at all at Western, by the time as I was ready to hang it up, I think it's his job. And yeah, I, I don't know if I necessarily disagree. I, I think that to a certain degree, though, if he's in the program and he's being told you're the next one, it's a lot easier just to pass the baton when he's there. When he's an outside hire now, I know he's somebody familiar. I think that there's a lot more control by the athletic department, by the AD to be able to say, yeah, he's definitely going to be viewed as a potential candidate, but we should open up a broader search. They, they did that in football. I think that there's a lot of power coming from football and the way that Michigan State is being shaped is by this football program right now. It's not being by the basketball. There's a resurgence in what Michigan State is and what they can be at the national table. And that is it's it's directly coming from the, the football program. And I think there's going to be a trickle down effect. And the longer that Haller is in that position, Izzo hangs on and the longer that he gets more comfortable and, and the shift kind of goes towards football, which is where it's kind of seeming to be. I think it's going to give him more power to make a decision outside. So I might, I might disagree slightly with you, but that's a good point that if he succeeds, it's, it's potential, but if he succeeds and he does it well and he makes the tournament a couple times at a shitty spot that he turned around, maybe he deserves a shot at it. I, I don't know. Sure. That, I mean, that's the thing is if Stevens kills this, then he probably is the guy, but I guess like, Look, I, I think this has always been a two-horse race. I don't think it's realistic at all that they're going to go full-blown national outside hire. And I think you can look around at the national powerhouse programs, right? Now, none of them are doing outside hires. Duke just gave a first-time head coach the Duke job. Who He's 32 years old. Like yeah, He's North, been running North the program Carolina. for a few years anyway. Yeah, but like North Carolina just hired Hubert. Like these, these, and they're having success. Like – Teams aren't going to go throw a bag at Chris Beard. And even if they are, is that even working for Texas right now? Like, is that working for Nate Oates right now? There'll be some familiarity. I know. I, I know we all hope that Drew Valentine continues to put himself in a position. I would love to see the direction of it go younger and re-energize the program. I would really like to see what he could he could do with a little bit more backing in terms of recruiting, in terms of, you know, relatability, his transfer portal approach you know, has been pretty great over the years. And I think he'd be a hell of a, a fit for it. So if I had a vote to make right now, he'd be my guy. Um, but oh, yeah, I think it's a two horse race. I think it's, it's Drew or it's Stevens. And I think as someone who loudly would advocate for Drew Valentine, I think Dwayne Stevens getting the Western job becomes a larger obstacle than if he had just been a lifelong assistant, because here's why if Drew if this had played out, I don't know how many years you want to say, call it three years, call it six years, it doesn't matter. But if Drew continues on the trajectory he's on, 
keeps making NCAA tournaments for six consecutive seasons, maybe jumps to another job by then, and Dwayne Stevens is still a lifelong assistant, Drew might elevate to a point where it becomes so damn obvious he's a better candidate than Dwayne Stevens. This now becomes an obstacle where I don't know that that's the, like if Dwayne Stevens is at Western for five years and goes like 17 and 13 and never makes the tournament, but has six winning years there. Does he get the job then? Probably because Izzo's going to loudly advocate for him. And I think that like, to me as a Drew Valentine advocate, that scares me because I think that's a likely outcome for Stevens at Western. And it, 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 as long as he doesn't totally light that shit on fire, I think he's in pole position now with head coaching experience to get the job, no matter what Drew does. Cart. Yeah, and just a, I, I honestly feel the same way, so I'm going to echo G's sentiments. And there is no way that he can set that Western program on fire. There literally is no worse place that that program can go. It is a better place just by introducing him as the coach. Like, he's already on the trajectory to make this is that him being the coach of Western was the greatest Western Michigan basketball like accomplishment in the last five years. And it's not even close. And that is what scares me. I think that he's going, I honestly have faith that coach Stevens is going to turn Western around and he is going to have them be, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win the Mac and go to the tournament, but they're going to be a factor. They're not going to be the laughing stock of the conference. And that little bit of success, I think could be, could put him in a position to basically, you know, bring Western up a little bit and then, you know, pass them on to the next man to kind of bring them back. But yeah, I, I, I just, it, it scares me because I don't see the timeline. Now I see more of a timeline lining up that Stevens could get the job over a guy like Drew Valentine. And quickly here, I do want to advocate for a good friend of mine. Chris Fowler, I think, should be the next assistant basketball coach of Michigan State. I think that he's a younger guy who's wise beyond his years. He's one of the best basketball minds I've ever been around. He's been at Northern Arizona the past two years, which is basically a school that you have to navigate the transfer portal for players, and you have to work the transfer portal on a daily basis. And he's managed to do that. I mean, he's managed to get players like Jalen Cohn from uh, – you know, Virginia Tech, who's been successful there. He was the main recruiter on there. He's a guy who came up in the family AAU basketball program. He has strong ties to the area in AAU. I mean, he was a grad assistant for Izzo in the, a couple of years as well. So I would like to see – I think it would be a perquisition for him to slide and be that assistant. But, um, yeah, I mean – I don't think I'm. I don't think that the assistant like him leaving is really going to affect Michigan State, to be honest. Like in this upcoming season or moving forward, the only way it would affect them is that if our coach you see if the substitution pattern changes, right? Because that was I heard that he did handle okay, the, the, the seven. If it doesn't change, the, then we know. Then we the know seventeen. If the seventeen minute mark thing goes away, then we know it was DJ that was doing it. So, so, so maybe we're good. I mean, assistants only really come into play if your coach can't keep his hands to himself and they have to take over, but oh, our, our program doesn't have issues with that. So hey, we should think, be good. think about this flip though. We've been so down because it was always Julius Marble subbing in at the 1730 mark. Now it's going to be him subbing out. There you go. But that's going to be a beautiful feeling, right? Or he's yeah, not going to do it. DJ's gone. He's just going to stay in. He's going to play long stretches. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I'm. Do you have any feel on where you would maybe like to see the assistant coaching hire go, Greg? 
I'll re-endorse Carter's endorsement of Chris yeah. Fowler. From I know you did that the first time around when Fife left. I I don't have any feel for him, but I know that you guys you know know him pretty well, and I, I think somebody younger, hungry, like wants a shot recruiter. I think you got to go the recruiting route. You look at what Illinois has been doing with Tim Anderson. I mean, Illinois has been recruiting maybe the best in the conference. Honestly, I, I know Michigan had their big class. Um, but consistently plucking like difference makers from the portal, consistently finding guys. I think the Sky Clark, they're in on Terrence Shannon. They're in on that Vanderplas guy. They they had a pretty decent season last year. I know it didn't end the way that they wanted to in the tournament. They have a host of young wings that I think are extremely talented, are ready to contribute this next season. And they're continuing to add veteran pieces and upgrade the roster. And I think if you're looking at just the way that Illinois has been handling their business the last few years, they're here to stay in the top four of the conference pretty consistently. Um, whether they ever have postseason success, that's something that they got to figure out. It's their demon to slay. But as long as it goes in the Big Ten, I think over the last three years, they're actually leading the conference in total wins. This is a team that is you're going to have to fucking watch out for. They're, they're fucking with Michigan State's recruiting, um, and they're going to be active in upgrading the roster on a consistent basis because he's consistently done that basically every stop that he's gone. So – one thing on Illinois real quick, they also lost both their assistants last year. And, yeah, were, and then they upgraded them. Right. They upgraded that, them with that, people who were recruiting better. Tell you though, like back to my point of like, I don't know how much assistance really matter as long as you get the right dudes in and have the right philosophy. Like, yeah. look, Brad Underwood has set the tone. We're going to fucking get transfers and we're going to fucking get five-star recruits and we're going to fucking keep our Kofi Coburn star around here and we're guard you and we got all the swagger. Like, that's him setting the tone and he's attracting the right assistants and he's attracting the right players. And it's a problem and it terrifies me. But like, again, Izzo sets his own tone and Izzo had two decades of success setting that tone, but like, let's adjust that tone slightly. And hearing him say he needs to get someone who's good to navigate the portal in NIL is big because he's never said that before. Now he's just got to go out and do it. Yeah. So somebody there, if he goes the familiar route, I know the name Tom Crean's been tossed around. I'll say that if you're going familiar and you take, you know, a white 50 to 60, I don't know how old he is. Is he in the 60s yet? If you're going to go the white male, like AARP card holder, I think that Tom Crean's probably the best of the bunch that you could grab right now, in my opinion. If you uh, get Crean, though, isn't isn't Crean just going to get the keys from Izzo when he leaves? Nah, no, I don't think so. I don't. I think it's gone pretty poorly at the stop that he went at Georgia. I mean, that, that went – does Why else would Cream come take an assistant job, though? Because they're longtime friends. They stood up in each other's weddings. Like, I think that if he tapped him, he would be interested in it, even if it was for a stint before he went somewhere else. And I think if you look at what he did at Indiana, um, I, I posted when the possibility of maybe some names were floating. He had five straight years of grabbing McDonald's All-Americans at Indiana. He obviously grabbed Anthony Edwards, who we saw last night, you know, put up a 30 ball in the NBA, like, uh, his ability to recruit has never been questioned. His ability to coach and manage a roster has. You don't need him to do that. You just need him to go out and get guys. And if you had somebody to be able to go out and get guys and Tom Izzo's managing the roster and you know being able to develop the talent and put them in the right positions, I think it could be a decent recipe. So if you go the old familiar white way, uh, that's the way that I probably would prefer to see it. But it'll be interesting. I'd like to see them hire somebody within the next week or so because to me it's like, if this is what's holding up some of the recruiting decisions and some of how you're attacking it, then let's go. Let's go. Why, why rush? Why rush things? Like, I, yeah, 
Why rush this? Enter the season with the, the roster that you have and see how it goes again after two seasons where you play like dog shit and have, you know, completely underachieved in program standards. It doesn't make any sense to have any urgency there. So they got seven months to figure out which uh, former players relative they're going to give a scholarship to. Oh, God. Thank you, Greg. It's so nice. I'll, I'm going to leave with some positivity, though. Um, I listened to Brian Masalem's uh, podcast today before we came on. Just He kind of tried to ask some questions very pointedly. He did his best job to get some straightforward answers, and Izzo kind of ducked and dodged a little bit. I, I do think that some of my comfort about maybe some impending change comes from the fact that Mel Tucker is at the program. I can't emphasize enough that what the, the – Whoa. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen of Spartan Hoops. Hey, we're taking this thing hey. over. Sleepers in this bitch. Let's go. Ooh, yeah, we had a little monologue while you were gone. What happened? That's hilarious. Okay, so I was going on the football route. I don't know where you guys left it off, but. Uh, go right back. It's, it's your ball. Ball in your okay. hand. <laughs> Sorry, everybody who's listening has made it to the hour and 25-minute mark. I got disconnected, but I'm back. Anyways, the one thing that I'm, I'm trying to bring some positivity towards the end of this. Um, Brian Masalem ended up interviewing. Izzo said today he spent an hour and a half talking with Mel Tucker. Um, there's supposedly supposed to be in the works, and there's been some chatter around this, some type of Michigan State moving towards the forefront of the way that they're handling name, image, and likeness. Um, uh, potentially allowing some of the alumni to be able to contribute, to be able to put packages together. I, I don't know the details of this. It's just been whisperings around from various places that I've been hearing. Um, but the fact that Mel Tucker has been involved in this program and is taking this school to the forefront of what it needs to be in terms of how you want to recruit, how do you want to build facilities, how you want to just basically run a program like a professional um, I think it's going to have a trickle-down effect for Michigan State and the basketball program. And, and I think the really encouraging thing is when you have, you know, Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo spending time together and, and kind of trading some of ideas, to me it's only a positive in the fact that the way that Tucker has used the portal is he just needs to be in his ear like, Tom, it's not that bad. Did you see that? I got a Heisman candidate. I plucked him straight from the portal. Now he's going to be a, a first-round NFL draft pick, and that guy's going to go help me get a couple more kids to, to improve the roster the next year and the next year. And you're looking at what they're doing for the spring game in terms of players that they've never seen before, the caliber of players that we've never seen before at Michigan State are going to be rolling through in the spring game this Saturday. Like some of the best offensive defensive linemen in the entire country, the best running back in the entire country in 2023, like – some players that we've never seen the likes of. And, and I think if you're looking at one positive thing, it does seem that the football program is going to push this university forward and the way that the name image likeness is going. And whether Izzo is 100% comfortable or not, I think he's going to have to adapt or you're going to run into a situation where the last four or five years of your career, you're going to get your ass kicked in the conference that you own for the better part of two decades. And that's the way you're going to go out. Like we're, we're entering a situation now where I think that he's got to find some urgency. I'm hoping that he does. And so I'm going to leave it with some positivity there that I think that the way that Michigan State's headed and what they're going to be able to bring is going to have a rub off and trickle down effect on the basketball program. 
And, and I think there's some positive things coming towards the future that the people will hopefully enjoy. I so thank you guys so much for joining. It, it, it'll, it'll be nice to look back on the football season when I'm watching Julius Marble get 30 minutes a game at center. So Izzo would not have signed Kenneth Walker and would have given Connor Hayward 13 carries a game. <laughs> oh, man, you guys. I tried to end with positivity, but I have two negative Nancys. There's nothing I can do. I apologize <laughs> to the people, but both of you were great. Thanks so much for coming out. Again, Sleepers Media, Field of 68, Unscripted, Carter Elliott and Greg Waddell. You can find them both on Twitter. At GWizzy12. And what do you, what's yours now, Carter? Is Carter underscore Elliot? It is at Carter Elliot with two underscores at the end. Ah, two underscores. Okay. Oh, perfect. Second underscore. Hey, by the way, if you're listening to this shit and you haven't subscribed to SpartanHoops.com yet, go do that. It's the right. best coverage for Michigan State fans that there is. And I'm not saying that because I'm not a Spartan Hoops employee like I was for maybe a month last summer. <laughs> EK does great work. Dan does great work. The entire team is Spartan Hoops. Matt, John, do great work. Go subscribe. All right. Appreciate everybody. Things are going to be okay. We're going to find somebody in the portal. I believe it. I'm going to hold the faith. Don't roll your eyes, Cart. I didn't. Anyway, we're going to get a center and a wing. I can't wait. Let's go. All right, everybody. Go green. White, baby. All right. Talk to you soon.